How is the future of the spaces we live in connected to the ways in which we design these spaces? In this episode of Unraveled, I speak with architecture professors to understand the role decolonizing architecture has in making the spaces we live in more inclusive. My name is Efrem Fodro and this is Unraveled. Last year, I spent a lot of time inside. I know this was the case for most people in 2020. I live in a two-bedroom apartment and I spend most of my time in my room. My room that I had previously never really needed to spend that much time in became my permanent workspace. The main place I did schoolwork, the main place I took breaks from school, I did everything at home. After getting tired of seeing the same space all the time, I decided to try and see things differently. I rearranged things. I moved my bed closer to my window so I could get more natural light. And I tried to get a few new things for my room, like a new mirror. Eventually, I got tired of this. I had tried to reimagine my space the best I could, but I realized that there were still some things missing. After some time, I realized that my frustrations with space and my questions about it couldn't simply be answered by moving things. My frustrations had forced me to look at space in a different way. The pandemic had made it obvious that our spaces now have different needs. Living in a world where all these needs are met can only be possible if we rethink how we see and use space. This episode is about understanding how imagining an inclusive and more representative future is connected to reimagining space. And this future will only be possible through decolonizing architecture and design. Understand what this concept means and what role it has in shaping our future. I spoke to two architecture professors who explained it to me and helped me understand what I could do to incorporate this type of thinking in my everyday life. So how has the pandemic affected the way architects see space? Speaking to Reza Neek, the founder of an experimental architectural studio called Sheep and an architectural professor, the pandemic had made it clear that spaces needed to be more flexible and comfortable. So if you're living, working, playing all in the same space, it has to be a bit different. Things can't be all static. So in my opinion, there are things that need to be designed that are that are flexible enough that can be adapted for live, work, play um, uh, mentality in one space. So what does decolonization in architecture and design really mean? For Temo Balba, a professor teaching a class about decolonization in architecture, this concept can be summarized by architecture that is in harmony with nature. For me, ultimately, it's a big one, but it boils down to, you know, impact and harmony with the natural environment in a way. And that is also a question of culture in the broadest term. For Reza, decolonization in architecture is about ways that changes can be made to the processes in design and who's involved in these processes. For me, the way I, I've been uh, trying to think about how we can decolonize architecture has been to think about every aspect and every nuance that is associated to architecture and design and city building. I feel like a part of it is about thinking about our processes in design and who is involved within the design. 
Um, and that's for me is really important in my practice and also like thinking about decolonization and architecture. Growing up in Accra, Ghana and Johannesburg, South Africa, the architecture around me was very different to what I'm used to seeing in Toronto. Design-wise, this made me gravitate towards spaces that prioritize natural light because of how sunny both Accra and Johannesburg are. Historically, the architecture in both cities has been impacted by colonialism, but recently it's become more important to prioritize ideas and building practices that are unique to both countries. A shift essentially connected to decolonizing architecture. In Canada, for this shift to be possible, it's important for architects and architectural systems as a whole to center indigenous voice, as this has historically never been the case. A bigger part of it, especially in Canada, is, and in the US, I would say, decolonization is about looking at pre-colonization where the Europeans actually came here and how did the indigenous people of the land actually use the land and uh, everything that we have done to build the cities that we live in today have been with a colonizer's perspective. So nothing that we have developed is actually considering the indigenous perspectives of living. And furthermore, it's not even like not just including them, but actually violently discounting their experiences and actually continuously pushing them aside. Why is decolonization in architecture such an important topic? And why is it necessary for reimagining the future? Speaking to Reza, one thing I understood is that decolonization in architecture would make the architectural systems and spaces around us more representative of everyone's needs. So generally architecture has been, as a profession, is a very uh, white supremacist, you know, criteria. It is, you know, a, a mostly old white guys that are making decisions either it's a gridded system for the city or the, um, the the systems developed for housing in the city and this is problematic because especially when you are looking at the world population and the, in the metropolises in the in the world like it does not reflect the people that are actually designing and building these uh, things for us and it's not for us so it makes a lot of people uncomfortable in, in that it isn't, it doesn't reflect where, what they are comfortable with. So how can we imagine a future that's more reflective of everyone's needs? Speaking to Taymor, he suggested that the only way to reimagine the future is to question the architectural history that's been taught in schools. An important part of decolonization is it's not just being forward thinking, it's also looking back at, at what we learned, questioning some of those things as well, you know, and how we were taught certain things. So the way we learned architectural history was that some stuff Egypt and then some stuff Greece and then Rome and then, then we jumped to the Middle Ages and then there were 400, 500 years of the Dark Ages and no one really knows what happened in the Dark Ages. And, but the Dark Ages were not Dark Ages globally speaking, they were a period of renaissance and growth and, and, and cultural richness in many other parts of the world outside of Europe. Let's say. For Reza, in order for us to actually see decolonization in architecture and design, it's important for architects to reject certain projects. Okay, if we are talking about decolonization, what are, what are some things that we should just say, you know what, we're not gonna, we're not gonna add to it. Uh, we're not gonna add to, uh, the prison system, the, we're not going to add to the police system. So these are all the, 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 the military complex, like, um, cause all of those things are part of the conversation of colonization. And if we truly want to decolonize architecture and design then we kind of have to make some hard decisions and be like, no, not going to do that anymore. 
Understanding the importance of this concept made me question how I could contribute to seeing it in my daily life, considering the fact that I'm not an architect. I asked Reza about this, and he suggested that the best way to see decolonization in architecture in our societies is for people to actively educate themselves. The main thing is like, you know, as a student, as someone who's just like frustrated with how shit is working out and it's like, you know what, this is not the way I want, this is not the kind of world I want to live in or actually like grow old in, uh, is to learn about them, learn about some of these movements, learn about how uh, settler colonialism has affected architecture and design and cities and the imperities we have socially in, uh, in Canada in our cities like Toronto. Taymor, diversifying the scope of architecture education is also important in decolonizing architecture. Not to say that it's bad to learn about the, the European Renaissance, but we really need to understand, appreciate, and expect that every part of the world has had a Renaissance, that every part of the world has contributed something immense to global heritage, global society, global richness, and, and ultimately it's, it's a local story. It's not necessarily a story of empires. So back in my room, where all my questions about space started, I've been trying to understand how I can make my space a better reflection of myself and the inspiration I've found from the cultures I've been exposed to been thinking about my bookshelf and specifically what architectural books I can include in my reading to help me get a better understanding of the cultural heritage and ideas that architects from all over the world can add to my understanding of space. I've been thinking of what books I can get and how I can share this education with others because ultimately the spaces in the future will be representative of the people who live in them. And that's what decolonization in architecture means to me. This episode of Unraveled was hosted, reported, and produced by me, FYM Fodru. Our associate producer is Taha Hashmani, and our executive producer is Elena Duluigi. Special thanks to John Powers for composing our theme music, and Ben Shelley for creating our podcast artwork. Our professor is Amanda Capito, and special thanks to Lindsay Hanna and Angela Glover.